farewell address to the Ephesian brethren, the church at Ephesus. Sad time. He wasn't sure he was ever going to see any of them again, nor they him. And so he said, uh, verse 17, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know, from the first day that I came into Asia, that would be Asia Minor or present-day Turkey, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Well, see, he was there with the church at Ephesus for three years. And as far as we know, that was the longest that he stayed any one place. It says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. That's, he's, he's a Jew by birth, but his own countrymen trying to kill him. Lying in wait, he had, he had it on every hand, but never let, he never let it phase him. This is serving the Lord with all humility, yeah. Verse 20, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. He didn't say he didn't keep anything back. Sometimes things are just not profitable to talk about. He said he kept back nothing that was profitable to them. So it takes wisdom to know which. But have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. As a congregation and in public and then from house to house. So that three years was not a three year rest period for Paul. He worked hard. Preaching the gospel and teaching the whole counsel of the word of God. And testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you can't improve on the order of that sentence. Cannot be done. However, there's a lot of religions that have tried to change that around. Campbellism is one of them. They say, Faith and then repentance. Well, if they knew what they were talking about, they might realize how ridiculous they are. Repentance is a change of mind. Literally, the word in the Greek, metanoio. Now, Shane would like to hear that. Meta is change. If something is, you have metamorphic rocks, that's change. Noio from the Greek nous, which means mind. So you can't improve on this definition. The word repent, metanoia, means literally a change of mind. 
Now, that's not some casual change. Like, I, I thought I wanted a, a chocolate milkshake and changed my mind to strawberry. Not some frivolous change like that. But this is a change of mind towards God, about God, about yourself, about your whole worldview. It is a complete mind change. All right. So he says, here it is, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, faith is dependence upon, relying upon, leaning upon Jesus Christ, his person and his finished work of redemption. Now, that's, that's the whole thing in a nutshell. Repentance is towards God. That is a change of mind. Faith is a positive trust of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Now, the Campbellites say faith and repentance. By definition, what they're saying we believe and then we repent of it. That's what they're saying. You, they, I mean, that can't be denied from the language and what they're doing. All right. So you can't, you can't improve on this. Sometimes the Bible says repent. Sometimes it says believe. Anytime it's got repentance and faith together, they're always in that order. I even hear some Baptist preachers talk about faith and repentance. We need, to, we need to educate ourselves in the scriptures to where we speak as of the oracles of God. Because, you see, we, we mess a lot of things up. All of us do. Regardless of how brilliant we are, we mess a lot of things up about everything we touch. One way or another. But God doesn't. God, which cannot lie. And we need to speak as his word tells us. We, we say that we believe the Bible is our only rule of faith and practice. We need to practice that. That it is our only rule of faith and practice. So, now he says, verse 22. Behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem. Now, what do you mean bound in the Spirit? Well, the Spirit's leading him back to Jerusalem. He's not bound with ropes, but he's bound in the Spirit to go back to Jerusalem. Now, he's getting all kinds of advice. We don't think you ought to be going, brother, because you're going to get in trouble there. He said, you might even die there. And Paul says, none of these things move me. <laughs> I'm bound in the Spirit. I've got to go where the Holy Spirit directs me to. So... And knowing the things that shall befall me there. He certainly knew had, had, had a, an inkling of what would befall him there. And what's already uh, been befalling him. And then he said, save except that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. What, what's waiting you there, Paul? Bonds and afflictions. Handcuffs and beatings. 
But he says, none of these things move me. Threatening me with all of these things or foretelling that I'm going to face all these things. I'm bound in the Spirit. The Spirit is leading me to go to Jerusalem. I have to go to Jerusalem. Doesn't matter what happens. Boy, if we could get that down. Well, I'd, I'd stand for the Lord if it didn't get me in trouble. <laughs> well, Paul said none of these things move me. I got a single eye. I'm on the path, and that's where I'm going to stay. I put my hand to the plow, and I ain't looking back. Now, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. What is Paul just foolhardy? Is he like a evil Knievel that just flirted with death every day of his life on purpose? No, that's not what Paul was. Paul was was committed to the Lord, and he's going to follow the Lord wherever the Lord leads him, so that I might finish my course with joy. My courses are. Paul believed in a sovereign God. He believed God had a course worked out for him. And he knew it was right. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God. Now, is this another gospel? No. There are several adjectives used for the gospel in the New Testament. They're they're descriptive words. Uh, For example, the book of Revelation talks about the angels in the heavens preaching the everlasting gospel. And then some commentators... Matter of fact, quite a few of them. If you read them in Revelation 14 there, and they see that everlasting gospel, they will actually, they got the gall to put the words on paper that that's a different gospel. Galatians, the first chapter, Paul couldn't couldn't be any plainer. He said, If angels from heaven preached any other gospel than the gospel you have received of me, let them be accursed, cut off from you. Now how can he be any plainer than that? (coughs) And then these commentaries say that's a different gospel. Well, if it is, you better let it go. But it's not. Well, how how does that describe the gospel? Well, we just have to say that the gospel is everlasting. Where did the gospel come from? It came from the eternal purpose of Almighty God. So when did it start? It never did. It's always been a part of the purpose of God. So you you can't put God... Before his purpose. God and his purpose. I'm not trying to wax philosophic here. But you can't put God separate from his purpose. 
He's never been separated from his purpose. I think that's a wonderful doctrine. But anyway, so there's the everlasting gospel. Well, <clears throat> we find the, the gospel of the kingdom. Is that a different gospel? Well, no, no. Uh, look quickly at Galatians, the first chapter, before I get much further than this. Galatians chapter 1. Paul says, verse 6. Now these, there are several churches in the province of Galatia in Asia Minor. And this is addressed to the churches, not the church, the churches of Galatia. See, Paul's consistent with all that. You never have the church of Asia. Not like the Protestants talk about, and Baptists too. There, there was no church of Asia. There were churches of Galatia. And that's who he addresses here. He says, I marvel, I'm amazed, thamazo, that's the Greek word. I'm amazed that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. Now, now the word for another gospel in the Greek is different than the word for not another in the Greek. The other gospel Another gospel in the end of verse 6. That's a gospel of a different kind. Heteros in the Greek. Uh, well, you get, you get the word heterosexual. Male and female. Now, I think that's hate speech to talk like that now. But those are the only two genders. There are no other genders. Male and female, and that's what God made, God created. And if you're, if you're born a male, you'll die a male. I don't care what you cut off. If you're born a female, you'll die a female. I don't know. I don't care what you glue on. And there's a lot of that stuff going on. Matter of fact, our illustrious governor trying to get elected again, he, he may do it. You might have enough idiots in this state to vote for him again. Uh, baby, he got blood on his hands, baby murder. And he has definitely been pushing and enabling this gender surgery for little kids. See, wicked, wicked people. Anyway, so the word for which is not another, alos, the word homos, if you've got homogenized milk, that means it's been, had all the stuff mixed up. 
it's all the same. Well, there's not another of the same kind. There are bukus of gospels of another kind, but there's not one other gospel of the same kind than the one I've preached to you. But don't there what is this? But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the one and only gospel of Christ. They haven't left us, folks. They're still with us in droves. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Anathema, cut off. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye or which ye have received, let him be accursed. He said, I, I certify you, verse 11, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me or by me is not after man. It's not, it did not come because of the intellect of man, any man, me, anybody else. It didn't come from this area. It came by direct revelation of Jesus Christ. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. <coughs> In other words, Jesus Christ revealed it to him. When did he do it to him? Well, on the road to Damascus, and then the next three years, he taught it to him in the Arabian Desert. All right, so established now, there, there's only one gospel of the same kind, the kind that Paul preached. That's a big step. When you understand that, and you don't need to open up your mind to anything else. There's some things we can be flexible on. I can say, well, I don't really know. Or I can say, well, Deuteronomy 29, 29. Y'all know what that is. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which he's revealed, those are ours to do them. So there are secret things that I don't know. And I'm not going to get involved in it. I'm not going to waste my time trying to figure out something that I ain't never going to figure. And one thing I said to a bunch of preachers in a conference one time, fighting over the second coming. I said, I've studied this thing long enough, fellas. I don't know when it's coming. But I'm walking up now. And I said, but one thing I know for absolute sure, you don't know either. Amen. We don't know when it's coming. We know it is coming. We just don't know when. So, not going to get much of that. But anyway, the everlasting gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. Well, what kingdom? The kingdom of God. 
Matter of fact, we might make a case there that the gospel, there's the keys to the kingdom. Anyway, it's the gospel of God. It came from God. It belongs to God. It's the gospel of Christ. I mean, it certainly is his gospel. Matter of fact, it's all about him, his person, and his work. The gospel's not, not about anybody else, but Jesus Christ, how that Christ, the anointed one of God, the Messiah, died for our sins and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. There's the gospel of Christ, the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ. All one place is the gospel of the glory of Christ, the glorious gospel, the gospel of the glory of Christ. It's the gospel of peace. Now, a lot of people talk about peace. You see some of these bumper stickers on these. They would have been hippies back in the day. I don't know what you call them now. Envision peace. Have you ever seen one of those? Imagine peace or envision peace, world peace. Well, I really can't, but just say I did. Now what? Did that change anything? Yeah, but we got to have peace in the world. That uh, prime minister of England, uh, I think of his name in a minute, that went and met with Adolf Hitler before the Second World War. And he came back, uh, what in the world was his name? I'll think of it in a minute. Anyway, huh? Chamber. Yeah, Chamber, yeah. He comes back and, of course, newspapers then. Peace in our time. Politician done gone, he's done made peace. I know I did because I signed a pact with Adolf Hitler. And Adolf Hitler was laughing at him when he signed it. He's made peace in our time. We must have world peace. <clears throat> now they're saying the only way we're going to have it is we've got to have one world ruler. One world leader. One world religion. We've been hearing that for a long time. We knew where that was coming from. We're not, we haven't been side, sidewhacked with that. Bushwhacked with that. We knew, we knew that was coming a long time ago. The gospel did not come to make peace with this world. Where the peace is made is between the sinner and God. And apart from the gospel, there is no peace. Well, I mean... False prophets in Jeremiah's day. They're all talking about peace. They cry peace, peace. And God said there is no peace. Well, but it is the gospel of peace. Just not the kind of peace that everybody. Now we're getting ready for that. You know what. They're already talking 
a hundred days or ninety-nine days till Christmas. And they'll be glad to sing that uh, peace on earth. Let's see. Does that, does that say that when Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, that there was no more war? I think I can show you that war never stopped at all. Then the Jews fighting the Romans. I mean, just besides that, there's others too. There wasn't any Muslim wars back then because there wasn't any Muslims. But anyway, it's the gospel of peace, but it's the peace that he effected with Almighty God. And it's Paul's gospel. Or just plain gospel. And then here he says it is the gospel of the grace of God. Now there's no difference in any one of these with the different adjectives. It's the same gospel. Look back at Galatians again. I think it's chapter 3 I want. Yeah, chapter 3. Verse 6, even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Can you believe that the commentaries? Say that that's a different gospel. And yet it's Galatians chapter 1 says there's not another one. Amen. I don't, you, you'd think those guys would read the Bible before they ever write on it. But they obviously don't. But anyway. So the gospel of the grace of God. What a wonderful, wonderful thought. The gospel is a testimony to free and sovereign grace. Uh, look quickly over Psalm 30, 37. Verse 39, <clears throat> Psalm of David, but the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. We're talking about the gospel of the grace of God. The salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. Whatever, whatever salvation you have, 
course, the ultimate salvation is salvation of your soul. But there are other deliverances that God provides. But it's all of the Lord. Amen. It's of Him. Uh, some equate free grace with free will. And they don't go together. Oh, I believe in the free will of man. Well, you, you probably ought not to. And you probably ought not to contend for free will. Oh, I believe in man's free will. and God can't interfere with man's free will. Well, if God doesn't interfere with your free will, you're never going to be saved. Amen. Amen. Some of them were asking Brother Wrong one time. Does God save anybody against their will? Brother Brown said, we're all saved against our will. Amen. He makes us willing at the time. Amen. Anyway, this is the gospel of God's grace. Romans 8. Romans 8, 28. We know the verses. We're going to apply them this way. Which I believe is the way they apply. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, is the gospel of God's grace in there? Yes, yes. Because what is the calling of God? What does he call with? The gospel of God's grace. And it's according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And what did he call them with? The gospel of God's grace. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, when was God for his elect? Before the world ever was. In eternity, God was for his elect. Now, now if God be for you, how long has he been for you? Since before the foundation of the world. And how long will he be for you? Well, let's see. Verse 38, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how long, if he's for you in eternity, how long will he be for you in eternity? Amen. From eternity to eternity, 
God is for his elect. That's, a, that's what the Bible says. Now look at Ephesians. And we're talking about the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Now, keep this in mind. He's not talking to the whole world here. He's talking to the saints which are at Ephesus. And the assumption is that these are saved people. And they're members of the church at Ephesus. He says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now talking about God's, the free grace, gospel of God's grace. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. People say, oh, won't you accept the Lord? That's not what the Bible says. He says, his elect, he accepts them in Christ. And he doesn't make us acceptable. He makes us accepted. In in myself, I'm still not acceptable. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sin. Now is the gospel there? Well part and parcel. According to the riches of his grace. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. This is, my, this is mighty high doctrine here, folks. In whom? Now who's he talking about? Christ. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Being or having been predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. We're talking about the gospel of God's grace. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Man, I don't know how I can get any plainer than that. Yeah, there was a choice made here, folks, but it wasn't mine. It was his for me. 
The gospel is the gospel of God's grace and the providing. Look real quickly at Acts 2. <clears throat> the apostle Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. Verse 22, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you. And how, how was he approved among the Jews? By miracles and wonders. <clears throat> you start in the wedding at Cana of Galilee and go on through his earthly ministry. And you can see the miracles that Jesus performed and the wonders that he did which God did by him in the midst of you as you yourselves also know. Now, contrary to what these Benny Hinn people do and say, Jesus did not come to this earth to get rid of all sickness and all death. Not at all. He didn't come to heal everybody. He didn't heal everybody. But those whom he healed, those whom he resurrected from the dead, those things that he did were, that were miraculously and wonderful done by the power of the Holy Spirit, he did them so people might know that he is the son of God on earth and does have the power to forgive sin. Most of them missed it. And they still miss it. And now here they, they're trying to, to perform miracles that they have no power to do, nor do they have a mandate to do. And if they were to do them, it wouldn't say anything. When Jesus Christ performed a miracle, it was so that you might know that he is the Son of God on earth. And then it says in verse 23, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel. You might not know exactly what that means, but you know it sounds pretty important. And foreknowledge of God. Uh, I believe my point here was it's the gospel of God's grace in the providing of it. Him being delivered. And while it was delivered, he worked miracles and signs that he might be plain who he is. And what was behind his being delivered is the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. There's the providing of it. Amen. Nobody slipped up on the blind side of God and took Jesus and put him on the cross. That's the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Now, it didn't alleviate responsibility. He says, you have taken 
though he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you all have taken, and he's talking eyeball to eyeball. And by wicked hands, he's not talking about their wicked hands, he's talking about your wicked hands. Have crucified and slain him. Whom God hath raised up. Now on the day of Pentecost here, this ten days after, God's raised him up. Because it was not possible that he should be holding of it, death. God provided. Amen. He provided the gospel of grace, which is all about Jesus Christ. Look at Isaiah 53. We're at just a couple of verses here. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. This is still on the point that God provided it. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, the labor of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. There's the providing of it, of the gospel of God's grace. Go back to Romans 10. It's the gospel of God's grace in the applying of it. Romans 10. Verse 20. But Esaias, or that's Isaiah, is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. It was all there is just waiting for the truth out there, waiting for the gospel. No, they're not. No, they're not. I found the Lord when the Lord got a hold of me. It's the gospel of God's grace, not only in the providing of it, but in the 
applying it. Look at chapter 11. Verse 1. I say then, if God cast away his people, God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What, or know you not what the scripture saith of Elijah? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars. And I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal, and even so at this present time. Also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Not only did God provide it, he also applies it. And that's what he's talking about. There. So, Psalm 110, verse 3 Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Is the gospel of God's grace in the carrying of it on? Look at Philippians. Go just turn over a little bit. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, wherefore my beloved brethren, or my, my beloved as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for or because... It is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so we find out the old doctrine that they used to talk about, the prevenient grace of God. Any any good thing with reference to God that goes on in any of us, it's only because the Holy Spirit got there before you did. And that's what he's talking about. Uh, well, yeah, but I, I trust the Lord, yeah. But it's God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And this will go on, will be maintained. One other on this, Hebrews 7. Verse 25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So he maintains it. He carries it on. He provides it. He applies it. He maintains it. He carries it on. And it's still... The gospel of the grace of God. And that's why it is the gospel of the grace of God. Now there are those that would pervert this doctrine. As we read in Galatians 1, 7. 
And then Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5. He tells us to stand fast, therefore, <clears throat> in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Now, what is that liberty? It's the liberty that has come as a result of the gospel of the grace of God. And it tells us to stand in that liberty, that we've been made free in the gospel of the grace of God. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Well, we can hear this. So yeah, well, you can, be, you can get saved by faith, but you got to work it out. That's getting entangled in the bondage again. Yeah. Now, no, a child of God ought not to be just living like the devil. Amen. I mean, we're in an awful time now, folks. we got to understand this. People that go to church, that flood into churches, go because they've got rock bands there. They've got religious entertainment. They've got everything you can think of under the sun to entice people to come. And it's just like going to a carnival. <clears throat> churches that preach the whole counsel of God are not on the rise. They're not on the increase. And I see it. I see people that are beginning to think, why bother? Well, let me tell you again, the assembly, the church, Jesus Christ loved it, loves it, and gave himself for it. Ephesians 5 plainly says that. And he says, for us to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. I know we're busy, we got everything else going, but if you're if you're a child of God, you're a member of his church, you can't you can't honor God away from the services of God. Amen. Now, if we're not having services, sure. And make sure you do. But our obligation is right here. But I mean, people have got so many things going, everything is more important. I just I don't want to do that anymore. I'm tired of it. Well, you may be, but you also may be telling something about your own spiritual condition. And let me tell you this. We ain't got much time. You youngsters got probably more time than we do. But we haven't got much more time. If you want to serve the Lord, you need to do it right now. I, we're, here's, this really strikes me in my mind. I look over the obituaries. Do you know what I have a rough time finding anymore? Somebody that dies, and there's something said there about them serving God faithfully. Most of them don't even have a funeral. They may meet at a pub and drink a beer in memory of the one that died. But the majority of them don't even list a church. That tells me there ain't many of them going to church. Of any kind, especially the kind the Lord built. Anyway, we haven't got much time. Look at Galatians 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. 
Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. That is, that was a Jewish ritual under Moses. It didn't save anybody. Not them, not us. And if somebody thinks so, he said it, Christ will profit you nothing. If you're dependent on a Jewish ritual or any other kind of ritual, Christ will profit you nothing. That's why these people that say that baptism is necessary for salvation, they're not dependent on the gospel of Christ. They're not dependent on Christ. They've got them a ritual, something that they're doing. He said, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised, That he is a debtor to do the whole law. If you think. That a circumcision. Or any kind of a ritual like that. You're going to get that. And ride that to heaven. He said don't forget. You're going to have to do the whole law. And there it is right up there. All ten of them. From the time you're born. till the time you die. He says. And Christ has become of no effect. Unto you. I don't know why. Why these people that believe in the seven sacraments and all this kind of stuff. Why do they even bother talking about Christ? They don't believe in Christ. Whoever you are justified by the law. You're fallen from grace. Doesn't mean you, that you're saved and got lost. It meant that you've fallen completely away from the teaching of the grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God. For we through the spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. And so... We must not frustrate the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God is a source of great comfort. It ought to be. That's where your salvation comes from. God help us to realize this. There's only one gospel. There are many imposters. There's one and that's all. It has all of these different names, especially the gospel of the grace of God. And the reason it's the gospel of the grace of God, because it is the gospel of the grace of God. It came lock, stock, and barrel from the grace of God, from the eternal purpose of Almighty God.